0: One of the challenges uh, as we preach through the book of Ephesians is that there's simply too much we could say each week, and we cannot say it all and do it well at the same time. So how do we pick and choose what we want to talk about, what we think we should talk about out of each passage? All of us who have preached or will preach on Ephesians during this season are drawing uh, in part on the work of Tim Mackey, Dr. Tim Mackey and the people over at the Bible Project. The material there is uh, scholarly and excellent. We are loving what we're learning, but we simply cannot take all that we're learning there and translate it into a sermon each week. The temptation then is to try to load too much information into a sermon. So we're going to shift gears a bit this morning because there has been a lot of information in the last few weeks. Pastor and um, author Rich Velotis spoke at the Apprentice Gathering that Kim and I were at a few weeks ago. Kim is my wife and I love her dearly and would never forget to say her name publicly. <laughs> and we were in Wichita at this conference and uh, Rich Valotis, uh said something there that I was reminded of this week. Speaking to um, those in the room, many of us were pastors and preachers who preached the word of God and he drew on a definition of preaching from Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas was a Catholic priest and scholar who lived and wrote and taught in the 1200s. Aquinas said that preaching, quote, preaching at its core is about contemplating and sharing the fruit of one's contemplation with others. Preaching at its core is about contemplating, or as Psalm 27 verse 4 suggests, gazing on the beauty of the Lord, contemplating God contemplating Christ and then coming back with the fruits of that contemplation and sharing it with others now I would argue by the way that this is actually good advice for all of us it's true of all of us whether we're preachers or not the best thing we can do the best thing we can give to our neighbors is the fruit of our contemplation the fruit of our devotional life and walk with Christ but that's a different sermon that's just a bonus I was convicted by that definition of preaching the first time I heard it, and uh, again, uh, this week when it came to mind. So I asked myself, how shall I put this advice from Thomas Aquinas and Rich Philotis to practice in my life and for you this week? And I was reminded of yet something else someone else had said in a podcast interview. Alan Fadling, who is the author of several books on spiritual formation, said that he he took Jesus at his word when he put bird feeders in his backyard so he could watch them. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 26, consider the birds of the air. So Alan took him literally, and this week, so did I. I have a bird feeder outside my, attached to the outside of my office window, so I spent some time prayerfully considering the birds yesterday. Those birds pretty much single-handedly rewrote my sermon This morning. So with that in mind, I'm going to change the title of the sermon. It's a strange title for today and for this passage, but let's do something a little strange, because the way I see it, this sermon will be either from the birds or for the birds. (laughs) So let's retitle the sermon, Consider the Birds. Most every day, I put fresh bird seed in that bird feeder outside my office window, and usually within minutes, the birds realize it's there. They flock out of the bush, and they start to land on the windowsill and on the bird feeder and they eat. Sometimes they seem a bit anxious. I've shared with you before, they seem to fight over it sometimes and guard their little treasure that they've found. Uh, They chase one another off, perhaps out of fear that there's not enough. They have what we would call a scarcity mindset. Other times they see me move in my chair or walk across the office and they'll fly out of fear. They'll fly, they'll scatter to the bushes outside my office. They don't know that I would never hurt them. (laughs) I simply want to care for them and enjoy them. And I wonder if any of these might describe some of us this morning. Do you have a scarcity mindset when it comes to God? Are you afraid that God doesn't have enough to meet you, to meet your need? Are you skittish around God? Are you fearful of God? Do you have a bad understanding or concept of who God is? you fear Him? Or have you come to realize that God loves you and cares for you and only wants to enjoy you? Yesterday, something cool happened. First time it, I've seen this uh, from my office window, a woodpecker showed up. And he was at the tree outside my office, and he was pecking on the tree and climbing up the tree, I assume searching for insects. And I thought to myself, he doesn't even know about the abundance of seeds that's just a few feet away from him. He's working so hard. And then I wondered, well, maybe woodpeckers don't eat seeds, for all I know. <laughs> they do. Um, they eat a lot of things. but. No sooner had I thought that than he saw what was going. he flew to the window, he perched on the bricks beside the window, and he began to peck at the bricks, which is even harder than pecking at the tree, I would think. Not very fruitful labor. And then he stopped, and he looked over at the bird feeder and the other birds on the windowsill, and he flew down to the windowsill, and he picked up a seed, and he flew back to the tree to enjoy a snack. And he never came back. One seed was enough. I think he missed out. Consider the birds of the air. Let's just let that imagery, most of us have probably seen birds at a bird feeder before, just let that imagery sit with us and work on us as we move on in the passage this morning. Now you may remember that chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians make up the more theological uh, foundation, foundational half of the letter. Paul will begin to build on that foundation uh, next week in chapters four, five, and six as we move along. And he'll give us practical instructions on what it might look like for us to live in unity and community with one another. As I said, we'll begin that next week. And Paul has bookended this first half of his letter to the Ephesians with two prayers. And the second prayer The prayers are similar, but there are differences. The second prayer seems to go a little deeper than the first prayer. The first one is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. It's fairly long. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come." And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul prays that we will become better aware, more aware of God, and that we will know God better. He prays that the eyes of our heart, and again he uses kind of a singular thing, eyes of our heart, singular, will be enlightened or open he's referring to us as a church or to the church as a whole and that we may know God's great power that is available to us who have come to faith in Christ Jesus and then he closes the prayer with this reminder of the supremacy of Christ over the church as the place where the fullness of God fills everything in every way the place the temple where God dwells by his spirit he makes that comparison Now let's compare that prayer with the one in our passage today from Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 19. You'll see that it has some of the similar phrases and it begins and ends in a similar way. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In this prayer, Paul's requests on our behalf go considerably deeper. Now the prayer is not that we will know God's power, but that that power will strengthen us in our inner being. And again, it's singular there, our inner being. And then he adds this request about the love of God that we will be able to grasp how incredibly long and big and high and deep and wide that love is. This, that we will know, he says, this love, quote, that surpasses knowledge. Finally, he prays that we will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's similar to the way that he closed the, the, uh, the prayer over in chapter 1, but again, it goes deeper. In chapter 1, Paul made a statement about the fullness of God in the body of Christ, the church, but here he prays that That we, plural, will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We're, We're not just made aware of it or taught about it. We are to be filled with God, the fullness of God, to the fullest possible measure. Paul has prayed for us to know the unknowable, the love that surpasses knowledge. Logically, we cannot know what surpasses knowledge, at least not in all its fullness. And Paul has prayed that the church will be filled with the very presence and glory of God. Paul has asked for what seems to be the impossible. There's far more detail in Paul's prayer that we could get into, but that's not where I sensed God was leading me today. That said, there are a couple of things I just want to acknowledge, uh, even though we're not going to be able to dive too deeply into them. First, again, in the context of the whole letter, we need to keep in mind that unity is a key theme in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. As Paul said back in chapter 1, to bring unity to all things, including Jews and Gentiles, has been God's plan all along. It used to be secret, now it's been made known. These prayer requests are to enable and empower us to honor God's purposes in our midst as a community and to prepare us to receive the more practical instruction he will give us in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Second, I want to just briefly name the three requests that Paul makes. There, there, there's more to them this, but this is kind of the basic outline. That God will strengthen us with power in our inner being, not begin, that's me, in our inner being, that we may have power to grasp the enormity of Christ's love, and that we will be glorified with all the fullness of God. Now, depending on which scholar we consult, there are slight variations in how they break apart these different requests, because the grammar here is very tricky, and, oh, no surprise, it's also one long run-on sentence. Some of you may remember that just over a year ago I preached on this same passage and I broke it down a little bit differently there. That sermon is linked in our Bible app live event if you want to listen to it later. These are very big and bold and beautiful requests. And as I said, that one about knowing the love of Christ is apparently beyond truly knowing. So with that in mind, where does Paul go next? Right when Paul seems to ask God for the impossible... He ends with a song of praise, a doxology, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. It's as if Paul realizes the corner he has now backed himself into. He's prayed that we will know what cannot fully be known. But he doesn't throw up his hands in despair and say, I give up he turns it all over to God. The God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. The God who is able to do immeasurably more than all he, Paul, asks or imagines. And I think he does pretty good. So as I was considering the birds and considering and contemplating this passage again yesterday morning, I sensed that God was drawing me to focus on this section, verses 20 and 21. This is powerful doxology. What might God want to show us or have for us in these words? Now the word ask can mean beg or call for or require or desire or crave. God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine, Paul says. Paul looks at what he has just asked for in prayer. He realizes that it seems impossible, and then he finds comfort in the reality that God, the God who has just prayed to, God is able to do even more than we ask, beg, or crave. We ask for what we know to ask for. We ask for it in the way that we know how to ask, but we understand that we will always do so imperfectly. We will always ask imperfectly we always do so as those who do not know all that god has in mind for us all that god has planned or the abundance that waits for us our asking cannot imagine what god has in store for us what needs and wants god has the ability to supply for us the resources to supply for us if we would only come near and feast Consider the birds of the air. When I put those seeds in the bird feeder, those birds, I suppose, could not simply imagine or even ask for the amount of seeds that I put out for them. To say nothing of the 10-pound bag in the corner of my office. Were they to peck around in the dirt for a bit, they would not find the, the kind of abundance of seed they do in just a few minutes that they spend at the bird feeder. They could not even imagine how able I was to meet their needs above and beyond. To them, I am God. (laughs) I will not let it go to my head. You can be God too, just get a bird feeder. And even if I run out, I can buy more. They have no idea. There's another clause here in this doxology that defines things a bit. Going back again. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. How is God able to do this above and beyond what we think, ask or imagine? According to his power. Not ours. Not our abilities, not our power, not our our ability to pray or ask or even imagine what God is capable of, but according to his power, which is where? Already at work within us. Paul says back in chapter 1, the power that is within us is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. We ask, we imagine, we ask with all the faith and determination we can muster. We ask with persistence and patience, in patience, we imagine the riches of God's mercy as best we can. And then we trust. We trust that it does not depend on us. It does not depend on our faith or our eloquence. It does not depend as much on that as it does on the two major themes that Paul has prayed about so far, God's power and God's love. Verses 16 to 19, again, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It all depends on two things. God's power and god's love put another way it isn't about how faithfully we ask or how accurately we imagine it's about who god is it is not about how faithfully we ask or how accurately we imagine it's about who god is god's very nature when paul p- prays this prayer it is a prayer for growth and transformation for the whole church it is a prayer that christ will truly dwell in our hearts more and more, and make himself truly at home in our lives. It's a prayer that God's Spirit will strengthen us from within, that we may have the power to comprehend, to grasp the enormity of God's love, and that we may be filled to all the fullness of God. But it doesn't depend on you or me. It depends on the power and the love of God at work within us. Those birds can ask, and maybe they can imagine, I suppose, in some way. But what's really going on is that I, according to my power and my love for them, can supply them with seed far above their wildest dreams. And the truth is, they don't have to do anything to receive that seed. They don't have to earn it. But they do need to put themselves in the place where they can receive it from me they need to put themselves in the place where they can receive it from me and that's what you and i are going to have to learn to do as well we cannot make this kind of growth and transformation happen at ecc but we can put ourselves in those places those environments those relationships where we can receive from god all that god has for us consider the birds some of us are fearful of God. As soon as we see God at work or moving in our midst and our hearts, we dart away. We hide. We're not sure we can trust God yet. We don't think we're holy enough or whatever to entrust ourselves to God. Some of us have a scarcity mindset. We don't think God is enough to meet our needs, so we hoard and we compete with others out of fear that there will not be enough. And we are not as generous with the gifts God has already given us because we're afraid they might all be taken away. Some of us work harder to get the peace, grace, love, acceptance, and provision we need, only to find that when we get there, it doesn't really satisfy. Then we get a glimpse of God's goodness. Maybe it's just a glimpse. Maybe, maybe it's in worship, and we hear something or seeing something, or something just catches us differently, and we get a glimpse of the beauty and goodness and love and mercy of God. Or maybe we just see God's work God's power at work in our lives. We just get a glimpse. Or maybe we come to faith in Christ, but we, we think it's really only all about knowing our eternity is secure. Like that woodpecker. They finally realized there was an abundance of seed right there within reach, but then only took one seed and flew away. He did not grasp the abundance before his eyes. He did not understand that eternity is now in session, and that we don't have to wait to experience the abundant life that God has for us in Christ Jesus. But when these birds get it right, they fly to the feeder, they perch on it, and they feast. They put put themselves in proximity to the abundance I have for them, and they draw near to me, in a sense. Are you feasting on God's abundance? Or are you barely getting by? In the midst of a passage that is a rather strong rebuke, the author of the book of James adds a beautiful and simple reminder of how truly accessible this abundance of love and power is. In James 4.8, he says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know, the Apostle Paul, we said it a few weeks ago, the Apostle Paul over in Acts 17 when he's in the city of Athens says that God is not far from any one of us. If that is the case, what does it mean to draw near to God and for God to draw near to us? It means we seek to become more aware of and in tune with God's presence, God's power, God's love, we sang it earlier. Help us become more aware of your presence. It means we place ourselves in proximity to the giver of all good gifts. We draw near to God literally and physically when we come together as the people of God, as sisters and brothers in Christ, to worship God, to serve God, to study together, or to fellowship together. And we should. We should put ourselves in those places. But we can also put this drawing near to God practice at work in our lives at other times. We can cooperate with God. We can partner with God's Holy Spirit by making space and time in our lives for the practices that train us in Christiformity and what it means to have the image of Christ more and more restored in us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. If you go to our website and navigate to the soul training page, there are 10 possible exercises. Now, if this is new to you especially, but really for any of us, Go there later today and pick one exercise out of those 10s to engage in this week. One way to practice drawing near to God so that God may draw near to you. For this, sisters and brothers, this is how we begin to grasp and know what is well beyond us. The enormity of God's power, presence, and love at work within us in our lives and in our world. This is how we move from fasting to feasting on the goodness of God. I invite you to just observe a moment of silence with me uh, as we just allow God to speak however God might want to speak to us. And then after that, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to pray this prayer together, slightly adapted so that we can pray it as a prayer in unison. It'll be projected on the screen and we'll pray it over ourselves. For now, let's just take a moment of silence. Would you stand and join with me as we pray this prayer in unison with one another. For this reason, we kneel before you, our Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. We pray that out of your glorious riches, you will strengthen us with power through your spirit in our collective being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all your fullness.